All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Meditation from Sinai. This is our sixth and final session, and this is a very, very special session. First of all, um, I'm not going to leave the elephant in the room hanging, so to speak. This is, of course, a very trying time for humanity, for the world. This is, um, you know, a very, a very challenging time. Of course, I'm referring to what's going on with uh, in Ukraine. Um, there are personal connections that, that that we have. There are people that I know in both uh, Shluchim Chabad rabbis and Rebetzins in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, my wife has a cousin who is a Chabad Rebetzin, and her husband is the rabbi in Ukraine, and they had to flee a few days ago. Um, they've, uh, they've been kind of keeping people up to date on Instagram, and this, it's just, inc- just I, I don't know, speechless to, to just see what's been going on, and, and there's a lot of stuff that's going on, and so one thing, one thing is for certain is that we are praying. We are praying and deeply praying for the safety of everyone and for the shalom, for shalom, for peace. And that is that is the prayer. Let us say, Amen. The um, the class tonight, of course, is about our favorite topic, our favorite topic for this course, which is meditation. So I want to begin with the story. The story goes that there was a a priest, a minister and a rabbi, who decide, who schmoozing one day, I guess they walked into a bar, and at that point they were, they were talking amongst each other, and they were discussing about their, their various abilities, and who's got the greater spiritual prowess. And they decided to do a contest. The contest was going to be who could go convert a bear. I mean like B-E-A-R, like a wild bear, straight up. Like who, who amongst them could best convert a bear? To their religion. Okay? They made a deal. Contest is on. They made up to meet back the next day. Well, the next day comes and each tells their story. The priest says, I found a bear and I sprinkled some holy water. And next week is his first communion. Successful. The minister says, the minister says, I preach the holy word and mesmerize the bear to the point that the bear let me baptize him in the river. Now the rabbi, unfortunately, is lying in a gurney in a body cast. And they look at the rabbi and say, what happened? The rabbi says, looking back, maybe I shouldn't have started with circumcision. Listen, my friends, my... Yeah, okay, I muted everybody, and it's my fault. It's my fault. I just wanted a clean background, but I, I could hear the uproarious laughter in my heart. Here's the point. Here's the point. I, I'll let the point, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to the point. I mean, the direct point is don't try the bris on the bear. That's not the first thing you want to do. But of course, you'll see soon the deeper connection. I am very excited that you're, that you're here with me for this session, for this sixth and final session. We have saved the best for last. And, and I want to kind of go back to the first session and tell you and just kind of together figure out or, or kind of chart the path of how we got here. So in our first session together, I guess six weeks ago, I laid out the expectations for this course. And I told you that we were going to explore and practice authentic Jewish meditation. 
And I also told you that throughout the series, we're going to touch on three distinct forms of meditation. Hit bodidut, hit bonenut, and kavana. You probably remember these terms because they sound so similar and so, you know, a little strange. Right? Hit bodidut, hit bonenut, and kavana. What were they? Hit bodidut, we explained as the meditative process of secluding oneself. Hit bodid means to seclude. Badad means alone. To seclude oneself, quiet the mind, quiet the distractions, so external distractions quieted, internal distractions quieted, to allow us to hear our inner spiritual voice. That was one form of meditation that we discussed and even looked at some formal ways or some uh, modern forms of practice. That was in lesson two. We also talked about hitbonenut, which is not seclusion meditation, but rather cognitive meditation attaching one's mind to a spiritual truth. Thinking about it, fixating the mind and one's attention on it to the point that it creates a feeling and, and drives action. Like, for example, we talked about cognitively focusing, hit thing, if you will, on the idea that divine energy flows within and through every atom of the universe at every moment, recreating it. That's something we discussed in lessons three and four. And then, of course, we had kavana, which is mindful attentiveness. It's not so much cognitive um, attachment or cognitive, no, attachment is the wrong word. It's not so much about cognitive meditation as it is about intentionally focusing on something to allow for a desired result. And that we, saw, we found in lesson one. Uh, was very helpful in moderating our emotions. If you recall, all the way back in lesson one six weeks ago, we talked about, you know, if we're feeling anxious, we can divest our thoughts in the moment of what's fueling that emotion and think about something else to awaken a different emotion. Replacing thoughts of negative emotion with thoughts that will lead to a positive emotion. So kavana is about attentiveness, what we're putting our mind to at this moment, what we're focusing on, in the moment. And we also said last week how it can help elevate our mundane experiences. When we think about what it is that we're about to do, whether it's eating, sleeping, or working, we can elevate that experience as well and bring it into a divine sphere. All right, that's a quick recap. I tried. It's a quick recap of the first five sessions, divided, by, divided into the three categories of meditation. Hit bodhidut, seclusion meditation. Hit bonenut, cognitive awareness meditation. And kavana, which means... Focusing, intentionality, focusing on a specific topic, specific thought. Today we take our final step in this series, and it is to um, paraphrase, who was it? Who was the astronaut? Um, Armstrong? Not Lance. He was the bicycle. He was the bike. Basically. Neil Armstrong. Neil, thank Neil Armstrong. you. Thank you very much. Neil Armstrong. Although this is our final step, it is a giant leap forward. I don't think that's what he said, but nonetheless, I'm paraphrasing. See, until now, we've taken for granted the following. We've taken for granted, and, and hear me out for a second, that what is meditation? Meditation, and whatever of the three categories we had before, but meditation is an experience that begins here, in the mind. That is what we've taken for granted, and that's been true to all of our previous five sessions. And every instance and every nuance we've talked about, it's always been starting in the head, and then flowing down to the heart, and then flowing down to action. It always starts in the head. Meditation, obviously, right? It starts in the head. But Judaism, 
includes another form of meditation, a very unique form of meditation, one that begins not in the head, but rather in the hands. What I'm referring to is meditation by movement, or more precisely, meditation by action. You know, we think about meditation as something that happens in a quiet space in our heads. And that's true to a certain extent. But meditation also, in Judaism, can also include movement meditation or action meditation. And so, in our final session, we are going to look at the theory and the practice of meditation by action. And what I mean by that is a process by which we begin to connect with and feel a certain desired truth driven by the actions that we take. So instead of feelings and transformation being fueled by thoughts, it's, it's feelings and transformation fueled by action. This is Judaism's movement meditation, and this is going to be astounding. Friends, tonight's journey unfolds in three acts. Act one, I love you, God. Act two, movement as meditation. And act three, what we've learned. Thank you very much for being here with me. Buckle up. The ride should be smooth, but who knows? You never know. Either way, it's going to be fast-paced. I'm thrilled that you are here with me. Let's begin. All right, before we get to act one, I just want to uh, address something that we've addressed, we've spoken about in previous sessions, but I think is relevant. You know, and, and, and that is the following. With all that we've talked about up until now, we've done a lot of talking, a lot of exploring on meditation, Jewish meditation, it still might seem to be a little forced. It's true. It, and what I mean by forced is, you might be thinking, I might be thinking for that matter, that, you know what, come on, Judaism is not meditation. Judaism is not meditation. There is a form of Jewish meditation, kosher meditation. There is a place for meditation within Judaism. But if you think about Judaism, the first word that comes to mind, one might argue, is not meditation. So in case you're thinking this, or in case you're thinking this now, because I just literally planted this thought in your mind, perhaps, I want to ask a question to you. And that is, if you had to think about Judaism, or if you thought about Judaism and thought about what is the core of Judaism, what is the central focus of Judaism, what would you say? Open mic, jump in. What is the central focus of Judaism? Go. Can I, yeah. yeah, Ruby, jump in. Go, go. Uh, the central focus He's that I hello, hello. The, the central focus that I heard is is getting close to a shem, making making a a home for Hashem within your heart or shul or wherever. Good. And, and connecting with him. Good. Excellent. Good. Those are, those are very central ideals in Judaism. What else? What is the core of Judaism? Torah. Torah. Good. What else? Mitzvah. Mitzvah. Good. Good. I, you know what? I, I know I opened the mic, but I want to stop right here for a second because mitzvah is my answer. It, it, really, Torah and, mitzvot, Torah and mitzvot are the ones that I, I feel like, if you stopped me cold on the street and said, hey, hey, rabbi, how's it going? I would say, hey, it's uh, doing okay. It could be better. Uh, and, then, and then somebody asked me, um, 
What's Judaism about? I mean, I, I might answer it somewhat context-driven, you know, based on who it is that's asking and where. But if I was being honest, I mean, the core of Judaism is Torah and mitzvot. It's really an action-based movement, which is why I've said on occasion, to much consternation and much confusion, because I always see the faces like, like totally, totally like, what are you talking about? And I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm, I'm watching all of you right now. Now you're going to be careful with your facial reaction. That's why I tell people that Judaism is not a religion. You see what's going on over there? Yeah, yeah, it happened, right? That Judaism is not a religion. What's a religion? A religion is primarily a faith, a belief. Now there is faith and belief in Judaism. We've talked about that in this series. We've talked about, you know, belief in oneness of God and God drives everything, fuels everything, and all that is very important. But at the core, Judaism is more about, more, it's hard to rank, but Judaism is essentially about what we do. It's an action-driven movement. It's, a, um, it's an action-based way of life. You know, people, people always ask for, you know, I wish life came with a, um, with a user, with, a, with an owner's manual. All right, we got that. We, we literally got that. Um, it's called Torah. And it, 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 guides, it guides our behavior. It's a code of conduct, a divine code of conduct. Judaism is action-oriented. We have 613 mitzvot that include many, 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 many details. Each mitzvah. Is a general category that includes myriad of details. And, the, and all of these guide our daily life down to literally, and I kid you not, how we tie our shoes in the morning or whenever you tie your shoes, when you go bowling, maybe even in the evening. Right? So, so like, Judaism is about action, which then begs the question, and here's the question that I want to start off with. And that is, if Judaism is so focused on action, on what we do, then does meditation really play such, an, such a central role in Judaism? Because, you know, up until now, the previous five sessions, it's all been meditation, meditation, meditation. Talked about different forms of meditation, application of meditation, and, and not to discount anything. All important. But really the question is, is, is this really central to Judaism? Because if Judaism is all about Torah and mitzvot, all about action and practice and, you know, behavior and code of conduct... Where does meditation fit in with that? And, and just to support my way of thinking, let's take a look at the Mishnah. All right, I'm going to uh, pull this up on my screen. You can pull this up in your books. I can't imagine at this point that, that you guys don't have your books, especially since I haven't been told about it. Page 183, take a look. I mean, it might be easier just to follow along with me on the screen, but either way, we are going to do this. So let me pull this up. And Mishnah, Pirkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers, Chapter 1, Mishnah 17. Adina Malka, please take it away, text one. Um, could you make it a little bigger? Absolutely, yes, of course, of course, hold on. There we go. Yes, very good. Um, a six-chapter work on Jewish ethics that is... No, 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 hold on, no, 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 read, read the, uh, the main text right over here where my mouse is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the little, that's the bio, but yeah. Okay, the essential thing is not study, but deed. By the way, Adina Malka, here's the, first of all, thank you for reading. Second of all, if you're reading the fine print, of course it needs to be made bigger. But I, I wouldn't give you the fine print. I wouldn't give you the fine print. 
And, as, and if you're reading the fine print, anyway, you got to read it like super fast because it's like past performance, not negative future results. Please consult your. Uh, you got to read it like that. Anyway, back to our story. So uh, I, I do what I can. So the mission says like this that what is the ikar? What's the primary thing? The primary thing. The main thing, the essential thing is not study, but practice. It's the main thing is the mitzvah. The main thing is doing. It's action. Judaism is action-centric. There's a reason why there are so many Jewish directors. They like shouting action. I'm kidding or not kidding. I don't know. Judaism is, I'm trying here. Judaism is very action-oriented. That is the way it is. So, this begs the question. In an action-oriented movement, in, in, in a I'm not going to call it religion because I literally just try to say it's not so much, but in a movement that's all about a code of conduct, how we act, how we behave, how we show up and perform, is meditation really essential? Or is it maybe like icing on the cake, you know, helping out some things, but is it really essential? Isn't the main thing action? What's meditation? What, meditation can enhance the experience, maybe, but isn't the core the action? So, Here's the big idea that we're going to learn today. The big idea that we're going to learn is that yes, yes, mitzvot, actions, mitzvah actions, do constitute the core of the Jewish experience. However, number one, in order to really do a mitzvah, you got to have meditation. Are you with me on this? You see what I just did there? In order to do a mitzvah, you have to have meditation. And number two, every mitzvah action is itself a form of meditation. So those are the two big ideas. If you know, if you know these two ideas, because I want to tell it to you at the beginning of the class so that you know where we're going with this. If you have these two ideas solidified, if you know what they are and where we're headed, I mean, we haven't yet developed them, but this class will be nice and smooth. No bumps, no turbulence. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for right. sure. The two, yes, so here's, here's the thing. Although, I'm going to say the whole thing again. Although, in Judaism, the primary element is the action, yet, number one, nonetheless, number one, these are the two things, number one, action, mitzvah action, in order, sorry, in order to really do a mitzvah, you need meditation, it has to be fueled by meditation, which we'll understand, we'll understand why soon, and number two, the mitzvah action itself, the, the, the doing itself, in Judaism, is also understood to be its own meditation. And that's going to be the wild idea, the, the, the big idea that we conclude this series with. So again, Judaism is very much centrally connected with action. But to do the action, you need the meditation. And number two, the action itself is its own form of meditation. Those are the two ideas. Let's unfold them and develop them in this class. So I'm telling you what we're going to do. Now let's do it. All right, Act 1. Act 1, we said before, was, what did I call it? Oh, I love you, God. I love you, God. All right, so I want to start with a question. And it's kind of like a poll question. It's either yes or no. And I'll just, like, we'll take a quick hand poll. Imagine there is a Jewish woman at home on late Friday afternoon. And there she is, um, getting ready for a dinner party, a Friday evening, Friday night dinner party. And as part of the decor for the dinner party, 
She wants to have candles lit on her table. A candle lit dinner party. So she lights candles. And it happens to be that she lit the candles right at the time that the Shabbat candles are supposed to be lit. So here's my question. Did she fulfill the mitzvah of Shabbat candle lighting? Let me just clarify. She did not intend to light the candles for Shabbat. She lit the candles for whatever, decor, the um, ambiance, feng shui, if that applies here, whatever, for the whole experience. She lit candles for the experience, for her dinner party. Yeah? But she lit it Friday evening just at the time when the candles should be lit. I think this week it was 6 no, it was 6.12 or 6.13 in Atlanta, this past Shabbat. So she lights it right at the time. So my question to you is, do you think she just did a mitzvah or did she not do a mitzvah? Right? Okay, raise your hand if you think she... One second, one second. Raise your hand if you think she did a mitzvah. If she did the mitzvah. Did she do the mitzvah? Okay, raise your hand if you... Wow, tough crap. Raise your hand if you think she did not do a mitzvah. Okay, wow, lots of... Look, you guys, listen, I know we're family, but a little judgmental you guys are. No, I'm just kidding. You guys are awesome. So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. So the consensus of the group seems to be, you didn't do the mitzvah. So, but, but I, let, let me break down the question. The question is, what is the primary, the two sides are like this. One side would be to say, um, she did the mitzvah. Yes, she did do the mitzvah. Why? Because the mitzvah is to light candles Friday evening, 18 minutes before sunset. She lit candles Friday evening, 18 minutes before sunset. She literally did the mitzvah. Like, what's, what? She literally did the mitzvah. Right? She did. The, if the mitzvah is action-oriented, now you see where I'm going with this. If the mitzvah is all about action, she did the mitzvah. Didn't she? Or the flip side of the argument is you would say, no, she didn't do the mitzvah because she didn't have the intention in Hebrew, it's kavanah. She didn't have the intention to do the mitzvah. She didn't have the intention. So the question is, how critical, how critical is intention when it comes to doing a mitzvah? That's the question. It's not only about Shabbat candles. I just gave you an example that came to mind. It's not just about that. It could be about any situation. The question is, it's a simple question. The question is, how essential, how critical, how... There's a better word for this. Whatever. How critical to the point that if it's missing, it doesn't count, is kavana intention? Or do we simply say, uh, it's good to have it, but even without it, you did the mitzvah. Now, it seems to be that this group believes, at least the majority of those that, that I saw, um, seems to believe that kavana, kavana um, intention is essential to the mitzvah, without which you're, you're not really doing a mitzvah. But again, the counter-argument could be, what, the mitzvah is to light candles at a certain time. I light candles at a certain time. What's the problem? <laughs> I literally did the mitzvah. So here's what you need to know. This topic is the subject of a fierce debate in the Talmud. That probably doesn't surprise you that much because the Talmud will debate anything. Um, and I don't mean that in a flippant way. I mean that seriously. The Talmud is very analytical. It's very sharp, and it's very much about getting to the bottom of things. And this is a big question in the Talmud. The question is, do mitzvot require intention or not? Right? Did, oh, she did not say the prayer. In my example, she did not say the blessing beforehand. She just lit the candles. 
Right? She lit the candles. The question is, okay, even without the blessing, did it still count as the mitzvah? Right? So that's the question. So the Talmud debates it. And there's different opinions. One opinion says it needs intention. The mitzvah actually needs intention. One says it doesn't. What's the final halacha? What's the final law? So here's the conclusion. It's very interesting. The conclusion, as articulated in Jewish law, is that, uh, by and large, mitzvot do require, like you guys said, you guys are aligned with the majority, which is very cool, um, in Jewish law, that mitzvot do require some measure of intentionality, some measure of mindfulness when doing the mitzvah. Now, there are certain important exceptions, like really important exceptions. For example, when it comes to somebody who is um, giving tzedakah, so we know famously, if you um, uh, lose money, you know, money falls out of your pocket. You're paying for something and, uh, you know, $10 bill falls out of your pocket and falls on the ground. And somebody who needs it, somebody who is, you know, impoverished, finds it, picks it up and utilizes it for their, for their help, you know, for themselves. You got the mitzvah giving tzedakah, even though you didn't intend on it. You had no idea that it happened. You lost money. You had no intention. Still, famously, that is an example of the exception of the rule. The exception to the rule is giving tzedakah or helping someone else, even when it's unintentional, it still counts because somebody else got helped, and thus it still counts as a mitzvah. Another exception is where it benefits your physical body. So, for example, when you eat matzah, let's say, for example, somebody's on a road trip, and they go to the store, and the only food that the store has, I don't know how this could be possible, is manashevitz, matzah, or whatever matzah it is. And it happens to be Passover, but the person, so, and the person cracks open their box of you know, matzah, and they're eating matzah, and they don't realize it's Passover. Again, I'm giving you a scenario. There's no intention to do the mitzvah, but they're eating it on Passover. They're eating matzah on Passover. Does it count? According to Jewish law, it does, in this case, it does count as a mitzvah. Why? Because it physically feeds the body. You can't undo that. So when it physically feeds the body, so the mitzvah is eating matzah, you ate matzah. Okay, but when it comes to other mitzvah, like the example that I gave you, like lighting Shabbat candles, uh, by and large in cases like that, the mitzvah would require intentionality, in which case we would say that this woman who lit candles for her dinner party and did not have in mind Shabbat uh, didn't really do the mitzvah or didn't do the mitzvah because the intent was missing. Before I show you the text inside, any questions on what I just said, or is it fairly, fairly straightforward? Does that make sense, what I just said? Yes? Thumbs up if it did? Okay. So again, just very simply, oh, what about a bris? That's a good question. I believe a bris would be like eating matzah. In other words, it actually affected the body. Although, oh, hold on, you're asking a very good question. Very good question. A bris that was done, let's say, in the hospital for like medical purposes or whatever it is, but wasn't intended to be entering into the Jewish covenant, right? So then a person later on decides, oh, wait, oh, whoops, we didn't do a bris. So the person is an adult and you know, they never had a bright hospital versus mild. This is a very good question. Um, I believe, oh, man. There are certain instances where blood has to be drawn. You don't have to do, obviously, more... Anyway, there's, there's no second circumcision. But the question would be, is there a need to draw some blood from the area or not? In certain cases, there is. Like, for example, if someone converts to Judaism, if a male converts to Judaism, part of that ceremony is circumcision. Oh, which gets us back to the bear. No, but anyway, part of that uh, observance, I knew there would be a connection. Um, this was not a plant in the comments. So um, here's the thing. 
there is a there is a mitzvah. There's a part of the conversion process is circumcision. But if somebody was already circumcised, they would have they they would just they wouldn't obviously need to do another circumcision. That's not even a thing. It would just be about drawing a little bit of blood, like a, a drop of blood from the area, and that counts for that for that piece of the the conversion ritual. Um, would it be required in a in a case where um, without conversion, just a, a, a standard case of a hospital bris versus a religious ceremony? That is a really good question that I feel like um, has a very straightforward answer. Is it part of the rule or part of the exception? The rule is it needs intentionality. The exception is certain things that don't, but most cases it does. Is it the rule or the exception? I don't, I'm leaning one way. I don't wanna, I don't wanna mention, I, I don't wanna say it because I'm not studying it at this moment and I don't wanna say anything inaccurate. It requires further research or just Googling. I'm sure you'll find the answer or we can find the answer maybe by the end of tonight. Okay, so that is yes. Whoops. I just wanted to add to that bris scenario um, that most hospitals used to give circumcision on the third day. And we have the mitzvah of giving it on the eighth day. So right. there's, that, there's that little twist. Correct, correct, correct. Yes, yes. Um, so there's right. It would be a little bit of a of a of a, of, of a mistiming as well. So it's not exactly, you know, not exactly matching up. Good, good point. Um, who else looked like they wanted to say something or not? Okay, fine. All right. So so we have just to recap. To recap very quickly, the question is: Does a mitzvah require intentionality? There's a dispute in the Talmud. Here's the halacha. Take a look at this. I'm going to share my screen. I can find it. Here we go. I'm going to share my screen and let's look at the text inside. Um, text number two from the Code of Jewish Law. Dr. Maxi, please read this one. To fulfill a mitzvah obligation, we must actively intend to observe that mitzvah. Therefore, if we observe a mitzvah unwittingly, or for a purpose other than to perform a mitzvah, we have not fulfilled the mitzvah at all. Some Torah authorities disagree and opine that mitzvot do not require intent and are fulfilled even when performed unwittingly. However, the final law sides with the former opinion. So this is straightforward. Hopefully this reinforces everything that we've set up until now, that there are two opinions. Uh, the majority opinion or uh, what, uh, the, the final halakhic opinion is that you do need intent, in, intent, right? One must actively intend to observe that mitzvah for it to count. Uh, some disagree, but the halakh is that Jewish law sides with that opinion that says that intention matters. Okay? Intention matters. So that's where we're left with right now. What we need to do is go a little bit further, a little bit deeper into this, and understand what is, re what is the debate really about? What is the question, really, what's, at the, what's at, the, um, at the core of this question, whether or not you need intention? What really it comes back to, or comes down to, is an understanding of what the core of a mitzvah is. In other words, to understand the position Behind, well, to understand the rationale, the reasoning behind each of these two positions on this question, we need to really understand what a mitzvah is, because that will determine whether or not intent is required. And if you're not sure what I'm trying to say, let me just say it clearly without telling you what I'm going to say. Here we go. Is a mitzvah, 
a checklist item, an item on a big divine to-do list, right? In which case, if that's the case, then as long as it gets checked, we're good. In other words, let's go back to my example of candle lighting, Friday, Friday night candle lighting, uh, a.k.a. Friday night lights, sort of, okay, maybe, maybe not exactly, right? Friday night candle lights. So imagine if God has a checklist, a universe checklist, and it's like God says, I want candles lit Friday night. Candles should be lit Friday night. Okay, that's on the checklist. So then, if that was the case, then as long as it gets done, we should be fine, right? Whether I intended to do it, I didn't intend to do it, I tripped and fell on a box of matches that then flew up in the air, got lit, landed on a, on a wick, on a candle, and put it, put it ablaze, it shouldn't really matter as long as it's actually done. Like, I'm trying to think of another example. Like, um, where intention doesn't matter as long as it gets done. It's like, oh man, like so many obvious examples that I can't think of right now. But, you know, it, it, let's put it this way. If the objective is that, the, that there's light in the room, yeah, there's light in the room. Who cares? Who cares how it was done? There's light in the room, we're good. So that's one side. You don't need kavana in that scenario. If it's a checklist, you don't need kavana. But if there's something, intention, if there's something deeper, but if there's something deeper to a mitzvah, if a mitzvah is not just an item on some sort of cosmic checklist, if a mitzvah is something a little bit deeper, then maybe, just maybe, and this is where we all intuitively, most of us intuitively went to, this is the place that we, we felt without maybe articulating, if there's something deeper to the mitzvah experience, then maybe intention does matter. The question is, what exactly is the deeper element to the mitzvah experience? I think you'll find this to be very, very helpful as we articulate what a mitzvah really is. Language matters. And so the word mitzvah matters. Mitzvah. What does mitzvah mean? Mitzvah. When you hear the word mitzvah, what does it sound like? I mean, I don't, not, I don't mean that as like a game. Like, what does it sound like? No, but mitzvah. What does mitzvah mean? What's the meaning of the word mitzvah? This is an open question. What is mitzvah? Mitzvah is definition of a mitzvah. Define mitzvah. Go. Jump in. Connection. Good, good deed. Okay, good deed. What else? Celebration. Celebration. Good. What else? Fulfilling God's commandment. Oh, fulfill God's commandment. Good. What else? Mitzvah, mitzvah, Obligation. mitzvah. Obligation. Good. What else? We have now obligation, um, divine commandment, good deed. What else? I heard one thing before at the beginning, and, and whoever said that, I want you to repeat it. Different word. Connection. Connection. Excellent. Excellent. Good. That's the meaning that we're going to focus on right now. Mitzvah equals connection. It's true. A mitzvah is a good deed. A mitzvah is a divine commandment. The mitzvah is an obligation. All of the above are true. But a mitzvah is also a connection. Connection with what? So here's the explanation. A mitzvah connects us with our creator. It connects us with the source of all life. The mitzvah is a connection point, or a mitzvah is a connection point between us and God. Let's see this inside the text. Let's read this together. This is text number four coming from, sorry, text number three, it looks like. Yeah, text number three. Let's do this inside. This is powerful. Um, Sarah, 
please read text number three. Don't forget, yeah. The word mitzvah means a connection, as in the Aramaic term tzvata, to attach, join. One who performs a mitzvah bonds with God's very self, for God is the issuer of that commandment. Excellent. Thank you very much. Let me explain this a little bit. So in Aramaic, the word tzavta means to attach or to join, which is what we're saying is etymologic, the etymologic root, a.k.a. The, the word root, of the word mitzvah. Mitzvah, tzavta, attached, connection, that's what it means. And so what's happening? What does it mean? It means that when we do a mitzvah, we're connecting. Yes, we're fulfilling God's will, and this is the commandment, and it's a good deed also. All of the above is true, but it also connects us with God. The question is, what is the nature of this connection, and what exactly does that mean? So I want to explain, the, I want to explain it this way. There's a book, a fairly famous book, called The Five Love Languages. Raise your hand if you've heard of that book, the five love languages. Okay, the premise of the book, The Five Love Languages, is that different people give and receive love in different ways. There's not one way to give or to receive love. People give love and receive love in any number of different ways and any number of combination of these different ways. And according to this book, there are five primary ways you can disagree, I can disagree, but for the purpose of tonight's class, let's just, I just wanna go through these quickly. There are, in this book called The Five Love, love Languages, no surprise, there are five um, methodologies of giving and receiving love that are articulated. So some prefer words of, effect, uh, uh, words of affirmation. Some prefer quality time. Some prefer to receive, to give or receive gifts. Some prefer physical touch. And some prefer acts of service. So let's focus on that last one, acts of service. Right? What is an act of service? An act of service means some people love doing things for the other. They love helping out the other, and that's how they show love. Some people love to receive love. By receiving acts of service, they love when, they're, when the other one does something for them. They love it. Not a gift. That's a gift. That's another category, right? Not words of affirmation, not quality time, not touch, I mean, or, or those. But this is specifically another category, acts of service. And it could feel like an act of love to do that for someone. It could feel like an act of love to receive that from someone, an act of service. So here's the idea. Here's the big idea. Think of the mitzvah. And when I say the mitzvah, any mitzvah. Think of mitzvot, plural. Think of a mitzvah as an act of service for God. Right? God asks us to light Shabbat candles for Him. When we do this action, when we light Shabbat candles for Him, we're expressing our love for God on his terms. And that forges a very deep, a very loving, and a very active relationship between us and God. This is especially important and significant, considering that God is infinite and we are finite. In which case, not in which case, but because of which, it's very difficult to have a relationship with God. How does a finite being have any relationship? with an infinite creator. It's not even possible. It doesn't seem possible. The possibility exists when the infinite reaches beyond that gap, that infinite gap, and says, you know what? I want this, or maybe I need this, so to speak. Um, and when we do it for God, so to speak, 
that forges a loving, deep relationship in the, in the, along the same lines as acts of service do for a human relationship. It's the same, similar concept with God. God tells us what he wants or what he needs, and we do it. And that act of doing it creates a deep bond. So this is one of the deeper meanings of what a mitzvah is. A mitzvah is not just a good deed. It's not just a commandment or obligation. A mitzvah is a connection point. It's a point of interface between us and God. It allows us, doing the mitzvah allows us us finite beings to connect with an infinite God. It bridges the gap. How? By us doing acts of service. And this explains, and, and, and hang on with me for another second here intellectually, this explains why intent is so important. So think about it this way. If, let's talk about the lawn. Lawn care. Mowing the lawn. Okay? Imagine there's a family with a home and a, and a lawn. And let's say the wife likes when the yard looks nice. Likes when the yard looks nice. So she says to her husband, you know, I want you to take care of the lawn, yard work, whatever. Pick up the, um, the leaves and mow the lawn, etc. You know, take care of that. I'd, I'd love for you to take care of that. So when he does it, it's great. It's not just the lawn. It's the relationship. Are you with me on this? It's not just the lawn. It's the relationship. She loves the fact that, that her husband is attentive, knows what she wants, and she tells him, so he has that idea, right? So she, she's communicated it. He does it. It's almost like he's doing it for her, even if he's also doing it for himself. But it's an act of service. She likes it. She wants it. He's doing it. It's fantastic. Great. What happens if accidentally one day... The lawnmower, yeah, a ride on lawnmower on its own goes ahead and mows the lawn. Now you're going to ask, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. Don't worry, you can suspend, suspend this belief for a moment. Let's say the lawn would somehow get mowed by itself. Let's just say somehow it would happen by itself, yeah? Would the, um, would the wife be happy? Yes? Yeah, the, yes. Would it further strengthen the relationship? No. Why? Because he didn't do it or he didn't intentionally do it. It just happened. So I'm giving an example that I'm realizing is not a great example because it's a little bit of a bizarre example as it's unfolding from my head to my mouth to you guys. Nonetheless, nonetheless, it's an example that hopefully on some level illustrates this idea that for an act of service to be meaningful, Part of it is to feel like the other one cares about you to do this for you. Does that make sense? If it's about lighting candles in the home Friday night, if it's about light in the house, there's light in the house even when she's lighting it for the dinner party in my aforementioned example. But if it's about God knowing that we took out time from our busy schedule to do what he asked for just because that's what he wants or what he needs and we care enough to do what he wants and it's an act of service to build a relationship, then you know, what it, you know what's required? A little bit of intention. Does that make sense what I just said? So is it about the light or is it about doing something for God? If it's just about a very pragmatic, oh, God wants uh, lights in homes, 
So however that happens should, should be fine. Which is one opinion in the Talmud. But if it's about, on a deeper level, if it's not about the light, it's about the relationship. It's like, is it about the lawn? Or is it about your wife? Is it about the garbage? Or is it about your wife? I'm just giving examples, right? Like, I'm saying, is it about the, the, the particular thing or is it about the relationship? It's not just the thing. It's the, it's the bigger, right? It's the bigger implication. If it's about the bigger implication, then that requires a little bit of effort, mindfulness, intentionality, and focus, investment in the experience. If it happens by itself, it, it happened, but it doesn't build the relationship. It doesn't. So the question is, what's the agenda of a mitzvah? Is the mitzvah just about a divine checklist? Yep, lights were lit, tefillin was wrapped, uh, matzah was eaten. If that's, I know that's a bad example because we said it works either way. Whatever. If, if it's just about the, the end result, like the pragmatic, the literal end result, then it shouldn't matter what's going on in my head. But if it's about the relationship, you can only have a relationship. Or the, the relationship happens, is created, is forged, that bond, the connection is made with the intention. Because that's when the, because uh, you're thinking about the other, you're doing it for the other, and you care about the, the effect on the other. That's what makes the relationship. Does that make sense? I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? The intention is, is critical for the relationship piece of it. So if a mitzvah is about a relationship, not just about an action, if the mitzvah is about a relationship with God, then you know what's necessary? Intention. Which is why also parenthetically, super parenthetically, this is why mitzvahs, mitzvot, are always handmade. Think about it. Parrot fillin, handmade. Mezuzah, handmade, handwritten. Torah scroll, handmade. Matzah, ideally, handmade. Right? Always handmade. It's always like craft, artisan, you know, handmade. Why? Because it's an act of love. It's an act of connection. It's about a relationship. Go build a relationship with an algorithm. How are you going to program a factory to make matzah and have that be a, a, a meaningful experience or spiritual experience? You're going to say, I know, but the person eating could have a meaningful experience. True, which is why machine matzah is, 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 is kosher. But I'm saying on a deeper level, everything about the mitzvah experience ideally should be intentional. It should be intentional because the purpose of the mitzvah is not just to get it done, but it's to be an act of relationship building with our creator. So to be an act, of a, to, 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 to serve in that capacity requires intentionality. All right, my friends, this speaks to the meditative, the critical meditative element that that exists within every mitzvah. This is why the mitzvot need to be done with kavanah, need to be done with intention. That's what drives the connection. It's what makes a mitzvah a mitzvah, what makes the connection a connection. This also explains why we recite a blessing. This was mentioned before in the comments, right, about the blessing before the mitzvah. And I gave you a scenario where the blessing wasn't done. But a blessing, what's the intention, what's the purpose of the blessing? The purpose of the blessing is to allow a person to slow down, to focus, and to concentrate on what am I doing? I'm not just doing an act. I'm not just lighting candles. I'm doing something for God. God wants me to do this. I'm doing it. That creates a relationship. It doesn't have to be a very elaborate intention. 
It doesn't have to be a mystical, you know, kavana. It doesn't have to be some sort of Kabbalistic understanding of what light is and the nature of light and the meaning of light and different hues of light. We're not talking about something high level. It's something super, super core and basic in a good way. And that core and basic idea is that God wants me to light candles. And so I'm lighting candles for God because I love God. God, I love you. I'm lighting candles. You asked me to do it. I'm doing it. Now it's not just about, it's not, not about the candles. It's about the relationship. That is transformative. And that's the role of kavana. That's the role of intention in the mitzvah experience. So it's not just lighting dinner candle or candles for dinner. It's doing an act of service for God. And this brings us into an intimate space with God. In fact, the, the idea of, of intimacy with God, a close relationship with God visa, uh, through, the, through the performance of a mitzvah is indicated in the liturgy, in the text of the blessing that we recite before doing the mitzvah. Take a look at this. This is so beautiful. This will be text number four from the Alter Rebbe in the book of Tanya. Let's see. Let's do, let's ask... Um, Rosita, are you up to reading? All right, unmute please. Text number four where it says this is the inner significance. This is the inner significance of the blessing recited prior to performing a mitzvah. Blessed are you who sanctified us, Kiddush Chanu, with his mitzvot. In Hebrew, the term Kiddush means both sanctification and betrothal. Yeah. Through a performing a mitzvah, we are bound to God like a man betrothing betrothing his wife for the sake of being intimately united with each other as the Torah stages regarding the bonding of the first human couple. He shall plead to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That's uh, Bereshit 2.24. When we study the Torah or perform a commandment, we achieve a similar, indeed, and indefinitely deeper and truer unity between our soul, along with all of its elements, and God's absolutely infinite light. This is an un... Thank you. This is an unbelievable text. In the blessing, in that language that we recite in the blessing before every mitzvah, we say, Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech Asher kedeshanu b'mitzvotav. We bless God. We thank God. We bless God. Asher kedeshanu b'mitzvotav. Who sanctified us with His mitzvot? But but Kabbalah Chasidut, the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, translates it differently. It's not God who sanctifies us with the mitzvot, with His mitzvot, but God who kedeshanu, who betroths us, who marries us with His mitzvot. Every mitzvah is an act of love. Every mitzvah is an act of saying, I do. Is an act of saying, I'm in this relationship. I want to be with you. That's the declaration of every mitzvah, and that's the declaration, the verbal declaration, in which we set the intention before doing every mitzvah. So before doing any mitzvah, whether it's Hanukkah candles, Shabbat candles, matzah eating, tefillin wrapping, mezuzah placing, um, Talit wrapping, esrog and lulav shaking. I could go on, but there's 613. Every mitzvah that we do is about 
a relationship building experience. It's not just God wants uh, palm fronds and citrons and myrtles and willows shook, so I'm going to shake it, right? All shook up, doo-doo-doo. It's not just about, it's not just about shaking things up. It's because God wants it to be shook up. I'm not just shaking the plants to shake the plants. Because I don't even know what that is. I'm shaking the plants because God said to shake the plants. Now, this is an intimate experience. It's a romantic experience. Shaking the lulav and the estrog is now a romantic experience. Straight up. It's, a, it's, an experience, it's an experience of intimacy with God. And I said that. Intention with a blessing. Asher kedeshanu bemitzvotav. God, you have betrothed us. You've married us. You've married us with your mitzvot. You've given us the opportunity to be intimate with you, to connect with you in the deepest way by giving us the mitzvot. How else would we connect with God? The way is by God reaching beyond, like I said before, reaching beyond the divide and saying, this is what I'd like. Can you do it? And we say, yes, we will do it for you. That creates the connection. So, let me just quickly recap. I asked at the beginning of the class, what's the role of meditation vis-a-vis mitzvot? It seems like Judaism is a very action-oriented movement. Judaism is all about action, getting things done. What we've now learned is that although Judaism is about getting things done, why are we getting things done? Is it some sort of divine checklist? In fact, if we just got things done, we're not even doing the mitzvah. That was the big idea. If we just get it done without the intention, we're not even doing the mitzvah. Part of doing is thinking. So when I started the class and I asked the question, is meditation really at the core of Judaism? Because it seems like Judaism is all about 613 mitzvot. The answer is yes. It's very much at the core of mitzvot because without the intention, which we're now, which is a form of meditation, as I said at the beginning, beginning of the class, there's three forms of meditation. One of them is kavana intention. Without that intention, the mitzvah doesn't count. I mean, you know, I don't want to be, you know, very like, you know, absolute about this, but the mitzvah is not really a mitzvah. The mitzvah is lacking, let's just say, without that intention, because it is about the connection. Okay, so even in Judaism's action-centric system, kavana meditation intention absolutely matters as it reflects the connection. It sets the stage for the connection between us and God. All right, let me check in with you guys. Let me check in. I've done a lot of talking. Let me check in. Does this make sense? Yes? Yes? Makes sense? Okay, good. Mom, jump in. I just want to give, maybe this would help you if you gave the example of a husband who happens to bring his wife a bouquet of flowers and it happens to be their wedding anniversary, but Ooh, he forgot. Oh, that's a great example. That's a great example. Good. Perfect example. Yes. <laughs> yes. Intimacy there. Correct. Correct. She's like, wow, flowers. Right? What's it for? She's testing him. He's like, every day is good for... He's like, no, and, she, and he's like, every day is good for flowers. Ay, 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 ay. Every day. Every day. Do you think this is just every day? Right, that's going to be a problem. So, exactly. That's a great example. So the flowers were given, but it's not just the flowers. It's not just the plants. Right? It's kind of like, um, imagine the husband, another flower example. The husband comes home and says, uh, oh, uh, yeah, some guy was giving out flowers on the way home. So I, I, I well, no, because that, that could also be an act of taking it and giving it. I don't know, whatever. But, but some other disconnected. I like your example. The example of, uh, of, of missing that piece of it. And look, 
you know, does it undo the experience in totality? No, but does it create that, that, that closeness that it could? Also no, it's missing that piece. So what's the bottom line? The bottom line is that even as Judaism is so, you know, action is so important, intentionality, it's also pretty important. So when we think about meditation in Judaism, it's really important. And so today we're learning that intention matters even with regard to mitzvot. And by the way, I should tell you that every mitzvah has its own meditation, its own intention, but collectively the meditation is an easy one to remember, an easy one to practice. The general meditation is God wants it, God likes it, I'm doing it for God. It's an act of love, an act of service. Think about five love languages, right? How, how do we express love and how does the other one enjoy love? One way is acts of service. God, you want this. You, are, you, you communicated to me that you want this. You told me you would like me to wrap, fill in, um, put up a mezuzah on my door, eat kosher food, light Shabbat candles. You told me that. I'm doing it for you as an act of love. That's the meditation. It could work for any mitzvah that you're doing. It's one, one meditation fits all, one size fits all meditation. It's an intention, a kavana meditation. It's not a very deep, lofty, profound meditative experience. It's a simple setting the intention. And we do that with the blessing, with the assistance of the blessing. Asher mitzvotav. God, you've, we're married. Part of our, 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 our connection, our, our loving connection is through this mitzvah. And that sets the stage. Okay, that's all point number one. I told you before we have two points, two major points in today's class. Point number one was that mitzvot require intention and meditation. But point number two, if you recall from the beginning of the class, point number two is that every mitzvah itself is a meditation, a meditation by movement. This takes us to another idea which is really beautiful. See, I said before that mitzvot have many layers of meaning. It's a good deed. It's a divine commandment. It's now we've talked about the fact that it's a, a, an act of service and an act of love for God. All of these are true. But a mitzvah is also not just good for God, what God wants. A mitzvah is good for you and I also. A mitzvah is good for us. And what I mean by that is every mitzvah, Every mitzvah serves to raise our awareness, our consciousness, elevate our consciousness, and refine our character. This is very important. And this is how we understand mitzvahs to be like meditation. Not meditation, not meditation enhancing the mitzvah experience, but the mitzvah action experience itself being a form of meditation. Because what is meditation? Meditation is thinking about something to the point that it affects how you feel and what you do. Well, it's kind of the same thing when we do a mitzvah. The mitzvah changes the way we think, changes the way we feel, and certainly changes the way we act. So a mitzvah could loosely be referred to also as a meditation. Let's look at some of the texts on this. Let's take a look at, we're going to have two texts, one from Nachmanides and then one from Maimonides. In the Hebrew, it's Ramban and Ram, Rambam, Ramban and Rambam, two, two great medieval sages that speak about the value and importance of the mitzvah experience. I will pull this up on the screen for the sake of all those uh, in which it's helpful. And 
Let's take a look. Hold on. Why am I going back and forth there? Just want to check this out. Okay, here we go. Text number five. Um, I am going to read this one. Our sages state that the mitzvot were given only to refine the person. The purpose of the mitzvot is not to benefit God, but rather to benefit humankind, to keep them safe from harm, to shield them from negative beliefs and base character traits, to remind them of the miracles and wonders of the Creator, and to help them know God. The Midrash employs the term tsaref. Tsaref. The Midrash says that mitzvot were given let tsaref et habriot, to tsaref, to refine the creature. So the Midrash employs the term tsaref for refining, which, in, which usually refers to refining silver. This informs us that the mitzvot refine mortals in a similar way to the, to the way in a similar way to the way a silversmith refines silver. Silver refinement is a purposeful task done for the sake of removing all impurities. Some of the mitzvot are designed to remove every harmful belief from our hearts, to inform us of the truth, and to enable us to be constantly mindful of the truth. What's very interesting and what's very powerful about this text is that Nachmanides Ramban is telling us that a mitzvah is not, a, it's not just an action deed. It's not just about doing something. Mitzvah is about changing the way we perceive the world, changing the way we understand, changing the way we feel. It's about a total shift, an internal shift, which sounds kind of like meditation. Meditation is about shifting our awareness. That's exactly what a mitzvah is supposed to do also. A mitzvah is also about an awareness shift. So that's what, what I mean by mitzvah as meditation. If a meditation is about shifting our awareness, shifting our consciousness, shifting the way we feel, that's exactly what a mitzvah action does as well. The intention is, we said before, connection. It's also to refine us, to change us, to transform us, to make us think, feel, and of course, act in a deeper, more mindful fashion. Take a look at the next text from Rambam, Maimonides. He says in the Guide for the Perplexed, he says, each of the 613 commandments exists either to communicate a correct view or to dismiss an unhealthy view to communicate a rule of justice or to ward off an injustice, to endow people with a noble moral quality or to warn them against a negative moral quality. In other words, very binary um, reading here, but basically it's to tell you what's good and to tell you what's not good, to inform your mind, to inform your heart of what's healthy, what's not healthy, what's kosher, what's not kosher, not in the literal sense, but in the, in the larger sense. So what's the point? What's the message here? Very powerful message. The message is that every mitzvah stands as a type of meditation. Every mitzvah stands as, a, as, a, as, a, um, as, a, as an opportunity for a radical internal shift. So we can change ourselves, we can change our lives utilizing our mind. Traditional meditation begins with the mind. We think about something, we clear the mind, we gain some awareness, and that causes a shift. Or we can act our way into the shift. Are you with me, guys? Yes? Yeah? You can change yourself through, from, let's just say it this way, from the inside out, starting with the mind, going to the heart, and then going to the action, going to the hands, or you can change yourself from the outside in. Let me give you a simple example. You can think about happy things to then feel happy and then start dancing, or, if you're in a lousy mood, you can just turn on the music, blast the music, and start moving your body and start dancing. And when you start dancing, what's very likely to happen 
is you'll start feeling happier than when you started. There have been studies, and I love this study. Studies shown, I'm reaching for a prop, an unplanned prop. Give me a second. Studies have shown. Aha. My Japanese pen. Studies have shown that when a person puts themselves in a physical posture of negativity, of a like um like a weak posture or a negative posture, they will feel weak, they will feel negative. When a person puts themselves in a physical posture of strength, right, and security, they will feel strong and secure. When a person puts themselves in negative, in a sad posture, they're going to feel sad. Positive posture, they'll feel positive. So here's a study. We've talked about this before. You put, they, researchers had people put pencils, uh, give people pencils, and put the pencils in their mouths in two different ways. Obviously not the lead or graphite or whatever that's called, graphene part, um, you know, safety first, but just the, the concept, okay? So the one way to hold a pencil, or this, a pen, but same idea, is in your mouth like this, right? When you hold it like this and you put your lips around it, your lips, you're making a natural frown. Should I get really close to the camera? You want to see my frowny face? Mm. That's a frowny face. Now, if you put the, put the pencil or the writing implement like this, ah, what happens now? Uh -huh. So awkward to demonstrate. Nonetheless, take one for the team here. Right? Nonetheless, when you put it in your mouth like this sideways, you're forced to extend your smile muscles. What they did was, researchers did this a few years ago. They actually, they had people do this, you know, subjects to the study, um, or in the study, and, and then they gave them a series of questions afterwards, after each one of these experiences. And how, I don't remember what they asked them, but they showed them images and they asked them to rank it based on, I don't know, whatever it was. You know, researchers come up with all these wild uh, experiments. Anyway, the bottom line is, after holding the pencil in the mouth one way, like the frowny way, like the straight on way, people were def uh, um, consistently reporting a more sad reflection on life. And after people held the pencil this way, it was more positive. What's the moral of the story? Walk around with a pencil between your teeth. No, the moral of the story is, I mean, maybe, but also that behavior influences how we feel. And how we feel influences how we think. You know that song? When you're in a bad mood, I'm paraphrasing the, the lyrics and the tune here. Put on your happy shoes. Put on your dancing shoes. Yes, something along those lines here. What's that song? Put on a happy face. Oh, put on a happy face. That's what it was. Who, who sang put on a happy face? Who was that? Do you remember? Put on a happy face. Who, who are my expert Googlers? Put on a happy face song. Ten seconds. Five Four, three, I know he did ten, five, two. Van Dyke, Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke, no. Uh, yes. No, it was a woman who sang that, he no? He sang that song. He also sang it? I think he sang that song. Maybe. Okay, could be. Could be a duet. Anyway, the... Who do you think, Rabbi? Rabbi, uh, who do you think? Uh, was it, it wasn't Doris Day, was it Doris Day? Did, was she a singer? Am I giving up, am I making a false name? No. Huh? Singer, but I don't think it was her. All right, so, someone's got to look it up. It's not, all right, somebody look it up. Anyway, here's the point. Here's the point. 
Oscar Peterson? Um, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just. Dyke originally did the song in the musical Bye Bye Birdie, and then it was popularized again by Tony Bennett, who recently just passed. Well, there you go. I was wrong. I stand correct. Thank you very much. Ruby, you were right. I should have, I should have trusted you from the beginning. All right. For some reason, I had a different conception. Point is like this, that when we're feeling down, sometimes we can act our way into the behavior itself serves as a quasi-meditation. Obviously, it's not meditation in the strict sense of meditation, meditation. Meditation would have a connotation of you know, mindfulness and thinking about something and, and then that changing our feeling, our mood, our actions, right? But there's a way to do it from the outside in, from the behavior on to the inside. And that's what a mitzvah does. Every mitzvah is an action Right? It's a point of action that changes something about us for the better. We just read the Ramban. The Rambam, what's the purpose of the mitzvah? Mitzvah is letzarif benesabrias. It's to purify us, to refine us, like the refining of silver. It's, putting, it's taking out the impurities. Every mitzvah trains us, and I'm using the word uh, intentionally, trains us in positive behavior. We are influenced tremendously by our behavior. Take a look at this next text. Take a look at this text, text number seven, from the Sefer HaChinuch. He says, and now, my child, I will enlighten you to appreciate the Torah and its precepts, the mitzvot. You are influenced by your behavior, and your feelings and thoughts consistently follow your actions, whether for the positive or the negative. Your actions have the power to overcome the negative inclination within you, since the attitudes of your heart are influenced by your behaviors. Behavior is a tremendous influencer. We sometimes think, we, sometimes, we often um, devalue the power of, and the influence of behavior. We think, oh, what's the big deal? I'll just do this thing. It doesn't make a difference. I'll just do this. There's no such thing as just doing it. I mean, unless you're Nike, then it's a whole big thing, right? It's not just do it. It's, it's impactful what we do. What we do matters. It changes everything. And so here I want to go through now a series of mitzvot. I think we're going to do like, I don't know, maybe five examples or so. How many do I have here? Yeah, we have five examples. Practical conversation. We're going to take five popular mitzvot, five mitzvot that we all know about, and let's discuss how it's a meditation. And again, meditation, understanding, it's not about um, thinking about the mitzvah. No, I'm doing the mitzvah, but the mitzvah itself, the action is itself a meditation in the sense that it changes something internally about how we feel and how we think, it changes, it, it does internal change. So we're going to explore the mitzvah and explore the internal change. So let's do some practical analysis. The first example that we're going to give is the mitzvah of tzedakah. Tzedakah is usually translated as charity, even though there are better terms for it. Um, tzedakah, charity, if I ask you the question, what do you think is the meditative quality of tzedakah? What's the, what's the inner lesson? What's the inner dialogue or the inner lesson that comes from tzedakah. What's the, what's the inner message? The meditative message of giving tzedakah. Somebody jump in. Helping others. Helping others. Good. What else? What, 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 what good trait is it meant to cultivate within us? Giving of yourself. Giving of yourself. Good. Kindness, generosity, chesed, compassion. Yeah, good. Excellent. Let, let's, let's take a look at this text. What we're going to do now, all of these texts and the next uh, several texts are coming from the same book called the Chinuch, Sefer HaChinuch, and uh, you'll see. 
You'll see what it is. Very powerful. Text number, I'm going to read these. Text number nine. The root of the mitzvah to lend to the poor, and it's not just lending, it's giving, is that God desires that his creatures become accustomed and train themselves in the characteristics of kindness and mercy. For these are praiseworthy characteristics. And through training their bodies to act according to positive traits, they will be worthy of receiving goodness. For as we have explained, goodness and blessing fall exclusively on the good. If it were not for, if it were not for this benefit, God could provide the poor with their needs without us. Rather, out of sheer kindness, the blessed God made us his messengers so that we can become meritorious through the process. In other words, God could have made sure to take care of everybody. And you and I might say, well, it's the, the benefit does not outweigh the problem. And that I don't have an answer for that. I feel that also, often. And that's valid. And I'm validating myself at this point. But the way this is explained in the Chinuch is that why did God create need in the world? Why did God create the possibility and the reality of people that don't have it's to give us, who do have, the opportunity to give. Because by giving, it transforms us as human beings. It makes us better people. It makes us kind, generous, compassionate, and giving human beings. And that is priceless. It's worth way more than what we give, is the benefit in how it refines a person. Torah and mitzvot, the mitzvot were given to refine us. Tzedakah refines us by making us, by forging us, by molding us into generous, loving, kind, compassionate human beings. That's tzedakah. That's tzedakah as meditation. In other words, that's the meaning of tzedakah. Not as an action, oh, I'm giving, but what does it mean? What does it change? What's the transformation? That's the transformation. Let's do the next mitzvah example. The next one we're going to do is the mitzvah of honoring parents. Right? So what is the, what is the deeper message about honoring parents? So as we'll see, it's all about gratitude. Let's take a look at text number 10. Okay, that's the next text. The root of the commandment for an individual to honor their father and mother is that it is fitting for a person to acknowledge and return kindness to those who provided goodness and to avoid becoming a selfish ingrate, which is an evil and repulsive attribute in the, God, in the eyes of God and mortals alike. The mitzvah of honoring parents is designed to spur us to contemplate that our parents are the material cause for our existence in this world. It is therefore truly fitting to honor them in every way and to provide them with every benefit that is within our ability. For they brought us into the world and also toiled on our behalf in numerous ways when we were young. So essentially, essentially, what is the meditation of the mitzvah of honoring parents? Yes, it's an action, but what's the meditation? The meditation is, this is inculcating within me. This is training me in the ways of appreciation, gratitude, hakaratatov, straight up gratitude, gratitude and appreciation. It is a gratitude meditation. So here, once again, we have an example of a mitzvah action turned meditation. All right, next example we're going to do is Shabbat. What would the message, the meditative message of Shabbat be? What message does it tell us? Shabbat is Shabbat, but what's the deeper message of Shabbat? What do you guys think? What's Shabbat teaching us? What's the internal shift that happens? Open question, in case somebody wants to take a, take a stab at it, so to speak. Shabbat, Shabbat. The ability to set the world aside. Yes. I like it. For a period of time. Very good. Excellent. Emulate God. 
Emulate God, set the world aside. Good. Let's look at the Chinuch. Same, same book. We're going through his, his take. There are many takes on it, but this is one, one, uh, one angle. He says like this, very interesting. He says, the root of this commandment to abstain from work on Shabbat is that we should free ourselves from our occupations and to honor the day of Shabbat, thereby, and here's the, here's the big idea, thereby instilling within ourselves belief in God's creation of the universe. For this belief is the core to which every foundation of our religion is attached. In other words, the notion of God as creator is substantiated or is, um, uh, substantiated, it is reinforced and is, whatever, through our observance of Shabbat. When we do Shabbat, when we observe Shabbat, it reinforces our faith in God. So, how to reinforce faith in God? You and I could sit and meditate on all the themes that we spoke about in lessons two, three, four, and five. We could think about, you know, how God created the world and how everything comes from God and how God enlivens every atom of every entity of every being at every moment, constant creation, you know, throwing rocks into the air and projectors. We could think about light and darkness and chat. We could do all that stuff. And all of that we covered in previous sessions. And you could listen to it again. And we got recordings. So we, we could do it that we could, we could, you know, um, enhance and augment our faith that way. Or, and it's not either or, but and we could also observe Shabbat. Shabbat is also meditation in the sense that it also Strengthens our faith in God. Shabbat is demonstrating our faith in God. We're not working on, on Saturday because God created the world. And that's a declaration. And, and it's not just a declaration from the lips out, but it also allows us to live, to embody this faith that we wish to inculcate. And when we embody it, it speaks to us internally as well. It's not just something we're doing. It's something we are thinking and feeling at the same time. Look, meditation can happen in the head. It can happen through the hands. That's the way it is. Meditation in the sense of changing something about it. It's a powerful idea. Somebody jumped in. Sorry. What was that? That was just me. Oh, okay. um, I was. I was just going to add. It's like sort. Of, you could extend it to say that um, it's. It really like like it says. It's faith in in Hashem and God that that He's going to sustain us even though we're not doing anything. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And it's putting, like it's, they, yeah. Like, like when they didn't when they didn't go out to get man on Shabbos because they knew they were faithful that Hashem, I mean, they were faithful to the tenets that, has, that God told them not to do it because you should trust me. Exactly. So, right, it's, it's putting, you know, the expression... Um, Putting our money where our mouth is or something like that. It's, it's like actually, it's actually doing it. It's actually living by that idea. Let's go on to the next mitzvah. The next mitzvah that we want to cover is tefillin. So what is tefillin? Tefillin are, translation of tefillin are phylacteries, but I've never seen anybody, never met anybody that knows what phylacteries are. Um, so I don't know what the benefit of that translation is. Where, where it's tefillin made, where a phylactery is made, you got it in a phylactery factory. No, they're handmade. But anyway, back to the point. What is tefillin? Tefillin are the black boxes worn by Jewish men or young men, at least over the age of 13. Black boxes on the arm and on the head, strapped onto the arm and attached to that. Now, the, what's, the, what's the meditation behind tefillin? I mean, seemingly it's, uh, I don't know, God says put on black boxes, so we do it. Um, but what's the meaning? What's the meditative quality? Powerful. 
Powerful. The location of tefillin matters. It's like real estate. Location, location, location. Where are they placed? Tefillin is on the head, above the brain, and on the arm, opposite the heart. And this leads us to a powerful message, a powerful meditative message as articulated by, once again, the Sefer HaChinuch, a book explaining the deeper meaning of the mitzvah. Here we go. Tefillin meditation. Among those commandments from God that are for the sake of molding thoughts in order to serve Him in purity is the commandment of tefillin. Tefillin are to be placed in the body and locations correspond to the brain and the heart, organs that are referred to as the seats of intellect and perception. Laying tefillin and contemplating their purpose leads to dedicating all thoughts to the good and leads to constantly remembering to be careful to calibrate all deeds in righteousness and justice. So the, the phrase that I'll use is about alignment. It's about aligning our minds, aligning our hearts with what's right and what's expected and what is just and moral and ethical and holy. It's about alignment. And, you know, we can achieve alignment through meditation and, and you know, through mindful meditation or through practice of wrapping tefillin and putting it on our he heads and, and, and on our arm opposite our heart. That helps us align also through action, through action. Final mitzvah that we're going to look at is the mezuzah. The mezuzah is the scroll, of course, that we put on the doorpost. What is the meaning of the mezuzah? What is the meditation of mezuzah? I'm glad you asked. Final text of this section says the following. We must be careful to observe the mitzvah of mezuzah, for it is an obligation that is constantly incumbent upon everyone. Through observing this precept, whenever we enter or leave our homes, we encounter the symbol of God's unity and recall our love for Him. This activity shakes us awake from our spiritual slumber, our obsession with material vanities, so that we recognize that nothing we gain lasts forever except knowledge of the Creator of the universe. This will spur us to regain proper mindful awareness and make upright decisions. And so in short, what is the mezuzah meditation? Every time we leave our home, every time we enter our home, we're reminded that life is not about the rat race. Life is not about material pursuits. Life is not about, dare I say, trivial pursuits, although the game is kind of cool. Life is rather about divine awareness. It's about the bigger things. It's about thinking about what's really important. So, to get us to that place of divine awareness, we could meditate on God or... And it's not either or. I keep on saying or and I catch myself. It, we can meditate on God through our minds and... Uh, we can also put up a mezuzah on our door. The mezuzah is also a form of meditation. It also allows us to think about God and to recognize God and to find God in all the spaces. The action drives the meditation. And my friends, this is the deeper meaning of the mitzvah. Mitzvah, mitzvah as we saw today, have two different meanings. A mitzvah requires meditation, right? requires intent to be meaningful, to be for God, to be a connection point, and it also is its own meditation. And every mitzvah is a specific meditation. Another idea, another insight, another feeling, another idea. Every mitzvah has its own lesson, has its own message. It's like the mitzvahs that we do have profound teachings for us and profoundly affect our lives. This brings us, my friends, to the end of our journey. It's been a wild ride, and what we learned today, I think changes everything. Meditation is central to Judaism, not just in its typically perceived form, but also vis-a-vis -vis Jewish action. Judaism is centered around 613 mitzvot. Each mitzvah is fueled by meditation, recognizing that this act is a profound connection point with God, and each mitzvah serves as an individual meditative awakening for us, refining and bettering our inner lives through outer behavior. 
So in the final analysis, meditation is indeed a mainstay in Judaism. It helps us, and this is kind of recapping all the lessons, it helps us maintain a positive disposition. It helps us ward away negative emotions. It helps us find our spiritual center. It helps us connect with our deeper purpose and our mission. It helps us live in the moment. It helps inform everything we do for the better, and it infuses life and vitality in Jewish practice. And so I hope you've been inspired by this course to practically use the tools we've developed over the last six weeks to better your life and deepen your Jewish connection. It won't just benefit you. It'll benefit the entire world because a world filled with people that are dedicated to self-improvement, dedicated to bringing light into the universe and within themselves is a world that we all want to live in. It's a world that is free of the hate, the jealousy, the anger, the, the, the pain and the suffering of the world that we have currently. This is the world that we want. This is the world of Mashiach. And so, my friends, I want to do, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to take two minutes. Should be exactly two, um, 10 seconds, 12 questions, 120 seconds, two minutes. Two minutes to do a review game. Here's the rules. Here are the rules. I need everybody to unmute. Okay? Everyone unmute. I was going to do this as a poll, but to do it as a poll, then you need to pull out your phone and go to a website, and who has time for that? What I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up something on my computer, and it's a game, and it's a multiple choice, and it's going to be a review of the whole course. And as I present the question, you have 10 seconds to shout out the answer. And it's okay if it's chaotic, because it's meant to be fun, right? It's meant to be fun. It's meant to be enjoyable. So here's what we're going to do. I'm pulling up on my end. I'm pulling up the game. Okay? I'm pulling up the game and, hold on, classic mode. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm getting ready on my end. Give me a second. Hold on. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Hold on, bear with me. Kahoot. You may hear a little bit of noise in the background. That's perfectly reasonable. Three, five, eight, seven. Enter. If you've never played Kahoot before, don't worry. We're not doing it the official way. We're just doing it the ad hoc way. We're just doing it to, to get it functional. Okay, we are ready to start almost. Almost ready to start, I say, as you will see. Okay, I'm gonna share my screen. You guys ready? I hope you're ready, because this is happening. It is happening right now, my friends. Okay, here we go. Friends, I'm starting meditation from Sinai Review. Why can't I go full screen? No one knows. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Who was the first Jew to meditate? Moses, Ramdas, Abraham, or Baal Shem Tov? Go. Abraham. Excellent. Excellent. You guys, you guys are awesome. The correct answer is Abraham. Next question. Guys, just because you got one out of one, you know, listen, past performance, not a negative future results. Um, so let's go on to question number two. Get your thinking caps on. Boom. Hold on. Here we go. Question two. What does hitboninut mean? An exotic not from Israel. Cognitive meditation, facilitative meditation, or when you hit your funny bone? Cognitive meditation. Cognitive meditation. Excellent. Cognitive meditation it is. You guys are two for two. Excellent. You guys are amazing. All right. Next question. I'm still at zero, by the way. Don't ask why. This is uh, mystical math. For some reason, everything remains zero. Question number three. 
We can shape the reality outside us through political lobbying. We can. Positivity, meditation, or being a gong and lighting incense. Positivity, meditation. All right. You guys are great. Positivity, meditation, it is. Excellent. Okay. Who says we don't have a sense of humor? Next. Next question is, how many locations around the world have been learning, are learning the same exact JLI courses we have been? Is it 10 to 15, 400 to 600, 50 to 100, 1,000 plus? 1,000 plus. 1,000 plus. 1,000 plus. Aye. Sorry, guys. Hate to disappoint. 400 to 600. I don't know. I feel like that question could have been worded better to make a better impact. Nonetheless, we move on and we don't reflect that much. Okay, next. Next question is, ready? Every part of our lives can be sacred because... God recreates the world intentionally every moment. God is within every detail of the universe. Everything that happens for divine purpose or all of the above? All the above. Oh, you guys are too good. Seriously, you guys are way too good. Next question. Let's do this. Six out of 12. The three garments of the soul are garments of the soul. Shirt, pants, and shoes. Thought, speech, and action. Intelligence, emotion, and action are bone, skin, and flesh. You guys, once again, nailing it. Thought, speech, and action. It is. All right, good. Aside from that, that, that the confusing JLI question, you guys are, you guys are solid. Ne next question, my friend. Jewish meditation is primarily a tool to make money, understand abstract spiritual concepts, and develop a spiritual awareness, have mystical experiences, or make Judaism more attractive. <laughs> Understand. Understand. Give me a color. It's too long to say. Who can say it? Yellow is the answer. All right, good. You guys are awesome. All right. Hey, listen, we're, we're, we're closing in. We're closing in. Seven, question number seven. Of course, sorry, question eight. In which city does Rabbi Label Wolf live? The meditation guy. Cape Town. Brooklyn, Not Melbourne, so Jerusalem. I don't know. I don't know. But I think you guys are right. It's Melbourne, Australia. You guys got it. You guys are awesome. Okay. Question number nine. High stakes action. High stakes action. To invest in meditation. To, in order to invest in meditation, that's what the rabbis instituted. A breathing technique. That the mitzvah would be from the lotus position, a blessing to be recited before the mitzvah, or wearing a kippah to get meditation and mitzvah. We did that tonight. You guys were listening. I feel validated. I'm quelling. I'm quelling. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm al famish. Excellent. Yes, a blessing. The bracha, the bracha, the betrothal. God loves us. He gave us tools to connect, and we love that. Next, next, question 10. How can you change your eating into a sacred act? Only eat organic, sprinkle holy water, go on no-carb diet, or eat with the intent to release the holy potential of the food. Holy potential Batman. Excellent. Green is the answer. Good. Next. Next. Eleven. Which of the rabbis were not quoted in this course? Ooh. <laughs> Rabbi Bachia ben Pekuda, Rabbi Sher Zam of Liadi, Rabbi Moses Carvero, or Rabbi Leo Akoin Ha'it Tamari? Give me a color. Give me a color. Oh, too late. Too late. Too late. I didn't even get a chance to think about this. All right, it's the Ramak, Rabbi Moses Carvero. Oh, it's okay. Listen, we love him, and we've caught him in other, in other um, things, and uh, we'll have him again. We'll bring him back. Don't worry. He shouldn't feel left out. Final question. Question 12. For all the bananas, according to Jewish mysticism, time is differentiated by the movement of the clock. Time is not real. A person's pulse or differing spiritual energies? Different spiritual energies. 
Green. All right, you guys are too good. What, what can I say? It's green. That's the answer. Hooray, the podium. There you go, third place. No, not happening. Okay, my friends, that was the review. And by the way, the way this works, the way this works in Kahoot, because it's a website, it's very cool. Like teachers and kids are using it in school. So the way, the way it would work if we wanted to do it as a competition, which could actually be cool, is that everybody pulls up the website on their smartphone, kahoot.it, and then you type in the, the, the code of the, of the game, and then you, you, hit the, you hit the color on your screen as the question comes up, and then based on the accuracy of the answer and based on um, how quickly you answered, you get points. You get points based on accuracy, correct answers, and on the speed, whoever answers first gets more points. Are you with me on this? That's High Stakes Kahoot. Maybe next time. But for tonight, we just went through the actual questions, saw the answers, and I hope that helped with a little bit of a fun, light review. Once again, I want to thank you for joining me for this course. We do have a meditation, a four-minute meditation from Rabbi Wolf from Cape Town joking, from Melbourne. He will be leading us on a guided meditation. That's going to conclude, formally conclude the course. And we'll, uh, we'll have a time to schmooze after that for a second. But first, I want to introduce a few things. Number one, very important, before the meditation. Number one, I thank you. Number two, I thank you for being here and for helping sponsor and for helping me be part of this family. Number three, I think that was all one and two were like part of the thank yous. We have a brand new course that we're starting next week. It's called You Be the Judge. This, if you like the genre of true crime, if you like solving mysteries, if you like analyzing legal precedent, applying it to other cases, if you like the Talmudic discourse and, 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 and uh, discernment, you will love You Be the Judge. These are real cases that came before a Jewish court of law that we will analyze and discuss and debate in real time. I think we're going to have polls up as well, poll questions that you can vote on to decide people's fate, I mean, theoretically, of course, and uh, it's going to be an incredible experience. You Be the Judge launches next Tuesday night, March, what is it, March 8th? Yeah, Tuesday night, March 8th, at 8 p.m. on Zoom. So let the good times roll. Let's all meet again next week. Same bad time, different bad channel, but stay tuned for the Zoom. Just sign up. We'll get you the Zoom. Join me uh, six weeks, six sessions. You be the judge. You don't want to miss this. It is unbelievable. So that starts next week. We also have a few Purim classes, Behind the Mask and Purim Boot Camp. Check out the website. We have a parenting masterclass, Conscious Parenting Masterclass, led by Rabbi Elio and Mrs. Dina Schusterman, veteran parents and educators. A tremendous masterclass, two-part series that combines the latest parenting neuroscience along with classic, tried-and-true Jewish wisdom. So that's coming up also in a few weeks. We have also something that is not yet on the website. All of the above is on the website. Um, something that's not yet on the website is something called the Joy Factory. It's all about joy, because we certainly need that in our lives. It's an work online workshop geared to, uh, to allow us to tap into our inner reservoir of happiness and joy, and that's coming up again toward the end of the month. I believe it's March 24th, Thursday evening, March 24th. Finally, the, uh, there is another six-week course that we're doing, another JLI course called Beyond Right that comes right after Passover, beginning of May, 
Look on our website for more details and make sure you're signed up for that as well. You don't want to miss these opportunities. They are absolutely fantastic. And I love learning with you guys. So let's, let's keep the, uh, the good times rolling. All right, without further ado, having concluded the class and the quiz and the announcements and the thank yous, let's roll the tape and pull out Rabbi Label Wolf for the meditation. All right, I'm going to share my screen. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Rabbi Wolf. Pleasant thoughts can instill joy. Your imagination can conjure up many beautiful things, and yet it can't match reality. The actual experience in real time, in real life, surpasses imagination. Gently close your eyes and become aware of how powerful your imagination is. Conjure up a picture of yourself flying through the air with ease, comfortably, like a bird. The imagination allows you places and experiences that are beyond the laws of nature because imagination comes from a very profound spiritual source. Bring to mind someone you love profoundly, a child, a spouse, a good friend, whichever. Become aware of their absence. They are away from you. Perhaps on a holiday. Perhaps living in another city. In your mind, give them a hug. Embrace them. How does that feel? Doesn't it feel wonderful? And yet, if you were to meet them personally, one-on-one, -on -one, and embrace them in reality, would not that be even much more powerful? That's why when people are absent and our connectedness is breached, we yearn and want their presence. And when they are with us, we can create that presence, the wonderfulness of being truly one.
Imagine the thought of doing a mitzvah. Saying a nice word to someone who needs encouragement. And yet, all the good intentions don't measure up to actually saying it in real time, in real life. When we do a mitzvah in real time and real life, we embrace Hashem. We touch what we call atzmos, the very essence of godliness. Make a personal commitment after this session to experience an embrace of God through doing a very real mitzvah. Once again, Rabbi Wolf hits it out of the park. Beautiful meditation. I hope you enjoyed the meditation. I hope you enjoyed the series. Thank you for being part of it. And uh, let's do, like, if there's any questions or comments, we can do like two or three minutes of Q&A. If there's a desire Thank for that. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure. Ruby. So, so Thank beautiful. Thanks for being part yeah. of it. Thank you. Thank you for a beautiful course. It was fantastic. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you very much. Thank you, Vlad. Rabbi? Yes. Can I ask uh, Dr. Max a question? Is she there? Uh, is she, is she there or not? No, she's not here. Okay, okay. I play a doctor on TV. Okay, so I'll ask you the I don't. No, I don't. No, no, no. It's, it's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'll, I'll see. All right. Like this, last, this last session was uh, seemed to be like a cognitive behavioral therapy. Do something... Uh, yes. Get into it, and you, it'll change your whole demeanor, your whole thought. Actually, Excellent. It's, 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 so I guess they got that from us. It's kind of, kind of yeah, we had it first. I mean, it's not, it's not like a, it's not a competition. But if someone's asking, yeah, <laughs> happens to be that we also have it. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would agree. There's some cognitive behavior. Thing. It's about, it's about transformation from the outside in, which is very powerful. Yes. Very powerful. Yeah. And a great course, by the way. Thank you, Rabbi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if somebody has intent, but for example, Yeah, so I think, I think intent and action go together. It's like, yeah, the goal is to have both. It's kind of like one, one way of understanding intent and action. I didn't mention this before in the class, but because I didn't want to, I thought maybe it might throw things off. Uh, the author Rebbe likens it to a, to a body, to a body and a soul. Basically, the action is the body and the intent is the soul. So you really have to have both. If you just have the body without a soul, you just do it without intent, it's, it's lifeless. If you just have a soul without a body, you have the intent, but you didn't do anything. So it's like a soul without a body. It's also not, it's nothing. It's like two, it's like, it's like a soul, but not grounded. It doesn't change anything. The goal is the body with the soul. And if we get it wrong, okay, we can do it again. It's okay. I don't mean get it wrong. If we, if we can get it more right, then we get it more right. All right. All right. All right. Very good. Any other questions, comments? Thank you very much.
Yeah, Howard. Thank you, Rabbi. Pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure, Thank pleasure. You. Pleasure. Thanks so much for being part of it. And... Uh, Thank you all. We'll see you soon. Laila Tov, stay safe. And we pray for peace. We pray for peace. See you soon. Take care, everybody.